Thanks for tuning in to the Diabetes Dish Podcast, brought to you by OnTrackDiabetes.com and the OnTrack Diabetes app, available for the iPhone and Android. Here's your host, Ann Galt. This is the Diabetes Dish. I'm Ann Galt. On the show with me today is Dr. Scott Kunin. He's the Director of Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles and the author of 21 Things You Need to Know About Diabetes and Weight Loss Surgery, published by the American Diabetes Association and co-written with Nancy Sales Kanishiro, one of our on-track diabetes bloggers. Nancy writes a humorous blog called Weighty Issues, and she was also a patient of Dr. Kunin's. Dr. Kunin is also a member of the Editorial Advisory Board of OnTrack Diabetes. There are more than 200,000 weight loss surgeries performed annually in the U.S., and approximately 25% of those are on patients who have type 2 diabetes. Dr. Kunin performs over 100 mostly gastric bypass surgeries on people with diabetes each year. On average, the procedure, which reduces the size of the stomach so the person is satiated more quickly and consumes less food, results in about a weight loss of 70 pounds between a year and 18 months following the surgery. In many of those patients, type 2 diabetes goes into remission. Dr. Kunin is here today to discuss weight loss surgery for people with type 2 diabetes. Welcome, Dr. Kunin. Thanks, Anne. Um, so let's just start by maybe you could just give um, an explanation of what weight loss surgery involves, uh, what the most um, often recommended procedure, particularly for people with type 2 is, and maybe you could also talk a little bit about the lap band procedure, which was done more routinely, but has sort of fallen off the radar now. Yeah, sure, Ann. Uh, so weight loss surgery involves uh, manipulating the stomach and sometimes the small intestine in order to uh, create a scenario where the body uh, gets the signals that it's satisfied with less food and it's happier with less energy on board so that the patient is able to lose weight. Uh, so most of them involve reducing the size of the stomach and then sometimes rerouting the intestine. So food is going through a different passageway through the intestinal tract. Now the uh, best operation that we have today really for diabetes, you know, with the, as far as being effective as well as safe is the gastric bypass. Uh, other operations that help you lose weight are also very effective, things like the sleeve gastrectomy, and also the lap band. Uh, the lap band is much more dependent on weight loss. Gastric bypass has more signaling or hormonal changes that also treat your diabetes in addition to the effect of weight loss. Okay. Um, is that sort of, uh, I had another question here about the difference between bariatric surgery and metabolic surgery. Is bypass sort of more of a metabolic type of surgery? Yeah. So uh, metabolic is a newer term. It just means that it affects things like your, your blood sugars, your cholesterol, your triglycerides. So these operations, in addition to losing weight, they also improve metabolic parameters of your health. So things like your 
blood sugar. So if you're diabetic, it also treats your diabetes. So it's so a patient who gets this, they lose weight, they get the positive effect of the weight loss, plus they get the improvement in the illnesses that usually come along with being overweight, like your diabetes. So that's the term metabolic, because we know it does much more than just treat weight. Okay. So there's been a few studies recently that show weight loss surgery does have a positive effect on the treatment of diabetes. But doesn't just losing weight, even through diet and exercise, have basically the same effect, or is there more involved? No, actually, weight loss does help, and we all know that. Uh, but there's hormonal changes or signaling you know, between your pancreas, your liver, your intestines that are also optimized with these operations that give you an effect even before the weight loss. So a lot of my patients with gastric bypass, the day after surgery, they have much better sugar control than they did the day before, and they haven't lost a pound yet. Really? So, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a miracle that we would think that, you know, just having surgery could cure diabetes or treat diabetes so effectively because uh, it's a chronic lifelong disease and it's, Surgery is a relatively, you know, simple, safe intervention that can be used to treat it very effectively. Wow, that's amazing. Um, but I guess not everybody is really a candidate. And um, can you talk a little bit about the reasons for that and who the right candidates typically are? Yeah, today, you know, we're still tied to having these operations performed on people who are overweight, and we don't just say 20 pounds overweight, they have to be uh, extremely overweight. So an average size woman, 5'4", 5'5", woman, is about 80 to 100 pounds overweight to qualify for the weight loss surgery. So today, these metabolic surgeries, you have to meet weight criteria before people uh, generally think that they're safe enough to offer. Okay. I mean, does that have anything to do with um, like insurance coverage or is, is that not really a factor in, in this? Well, it's, it's both. I mean, okay. if you, you know, there's national consensus panels where endocrinologists, mm -hmm. surgeons, medical doctors all get together and they say, okay, what is the evidence? And do we have enough evidence to offer this in thin people? Do we have enough evidence to offer it in overweight people? And right now the the body of evidence supports doing it overweight people. We don't yet have all the data for the thinner people. Now, more than likely, you know, we've gotten very good at doing these things surgically. We're going to find that it's going to be safe in people who aren't extremely overweight, you know, that are just moderately overweight because we can do these things very safely. But right mm -hmm. now, insurance doesn't pay for it. And we're kind of, if you're, if you're prudent, you're just not offering it to everyone. You're going to offer it to people that might benefit the most. So a thinner person might benefit as well? Correct. Yeah. All right. And, and I, I know a lot of the cost um, calculations depend on where you live, but what roughly is the average cost of um, weight loss surgery and, and are bypass uh, procedures more or less expensive than the sleeve, for example? Uh, you know, many, much of the cost is how much time it takes in the OR and some oh, of the okay. equipment that we use. And so uh, for gastric bypass, I think a reasonable estimate of cost would be anywhere from 15 to $30,000. Mm. And so it's, 
it's definitely worth the investment, but it's you know a big and upfront investment, and a lot of people can't afford that, so they you know rely on their insurance for the coverage. Mm. Uh, but it still would be a very good investment in your health because by the time you count off days off work and medications over the course of your lifetime, you're definitely going to get your money back. I see. Is the sleeve procedure less expensive or, or should you not really think about it's, it in that sense? They're about the same. You know, mm. it's the way I talk to my patients. It's one long staple line versus a bunch of little short staple lines, you know, mm. so the time in the operating room in my hands is no more than a half an hour different. So, so they're both very safe, they're both very effective. It's really when people look at pictures and they get more confused about the rearrangement we do with the gastric bypass that they think it's too much and they think it looks more dangerous. You know, they're about the same as far as, you know, the danger surgically. Oh, that's funny. Just people react to the kind of visual of it. Hmm. Um, yeah. I wonder, is the recovery time the same, similar? It's actually very similar. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, one of the draws of lap band originally, where we didn't cut things, rearrange things, was people would go home the same day or the, or the next day, and they recovered a lot faster. Uh, with gastric bypass and sleeve, a lot of people are tired for several weeks after the procedure. And uh, so, so it's really that, that limitation of their energy that's, that's keeping them home more than it is pain from the procedure. Uh, but there's always a little more fatigue because there's a little more surgery when you're doing these a uh, little more involved procedures. Well, is age a factor in these procedures? Yeah. It, well, insofar as, as most people get older, they get less healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had people who are in their late 70s safely have this procedure. Uh, we just want to make sure that their lungs can handle it, their heart can handle it, that essentially that they're safe enough to undergo a general anesthetic and recover. Uh, another concern or expectation with these is you want to have a good life expectancy, but a lot of people are living in their 90s now, so someone in their 70s still might have a long, long time expected to live. So, so it wouldn't be right to kind of not allow them to have this if their quality of life is going to be improved significantly. I see. I, I mean, would there be a possibility of saying, you know, somebody in their 40s having the procedure, it would have to be done again uh, because um, oh. it doesn't last somehow? Yeah. No, these are very durable procedures. Uh, mm -hmm. We're still looking for, you know, the magic test that'll say that this operation is going to work for you 100% of the time. This other one will work for you 100% of the time. Uh, we don't quite have yet, that yet, but what we do have is, you know, probably 90% of the people have a significant long-term benefit, and most people don't need touch-ups. You know, many times what they would need is sometimes behavioral intervention. So we, you know, got to get them back to the dietitian, or we have to encourage them to do more exercise. Things that they can, you know, they've kind of just gotten lazy with many times, mm -hmm. but they usually don't gain all their weight back. You know, it's a uh, you know, it's obesity is a chronic disease and you have to, you know, sort of chip away at it for your entire life. You know, all these things require effort, but it's manageable effort versus a futile effort, I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, is that a surprise to people? Uh, do patients come in and think, I'm going to have the surgery and I can eat whatever I want and 
I don't have to worry about my blood sugars and my weight's going to be off. Yeah, some do. Uh, one of the things that we do is we make them first before even consulting with us undergo a seminar where we explain what these things are like, what the lifestyle is like, you know, with it, after it. And so that they, they understand, you know, myth versus reality. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and once they, once they get that, and most insurance companies also make them undergo a diet once again for several months before they could have surgery. Oh, before they can have it. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And many of our patients, unfortunately, have dieted their whole lives and maybe have you know, they've gone on a vacation from dieting for a year and then they come to us and then they realize they have to try one more time for the insurance company. But the, uh, but it's good practice because after these surgeries, you have to eat healthy. I mean, you can find ways to get calories in if you really try, meaning if you drink your calories, you know, ice cream, Mm -hmm. for example, or you eat potato chips all day as your first choice. Yeah. You can definitely, you know, put on more weight, or not take as much weight off as someone who's trying to do the right thing. So, so we try to get people to realize that you got to attack it from all fronts, the surgery, behavioral stuff like uh, exercise, eating healthy meals, not trying to skip as well as, as well as picking the right foods. So it all, okay. it all gets put into the mix. Um, I wondered with the increase in children with type two, uh, would this procedure ever be, do you, can you see a future with this procedure being used for young people? Yeah. Uh, what we do with, uh, with adolescents mostly, because you want, generally you don't do it on children, but uh, if they're skeletally mature, you don't want to you know, interrupt their growth. But if their mm. bones are, you know, growth plates have closed, then they're thought to be a reasonable candidate. Now, what we do is we have a much more intensive program uh, for the psychological evaluation. Because what we don't want is a kid that doesn't understand that they have to take their vitamins forever, you know, and just deciding to stop. Or, you know, they hit college and, you know, it's, it's partying and binge drinking or something. You know, we want to make sure that they're adults enough not to hurt themselves with it. Or it's better to wait till they're a little more mature because it's a lifelong kind of use of this tool. And so you want to, you know, intervene at the right time. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, But it is kind of a hopeful option, possibly, you know. Oh, definitely. And, you know, as a map, you know, as a rule of thumb, the earlier you intervene so that you reverse, you know, the problems that you get with hyperglycemia, the better for the patient. You know, you don't want to, you know, wait till you're 40 and wait till you're having, you know, problems with your eyes and your kidneys and your heart and then, then intervene. You'd rather prevent the damage. So. And because that sort of damage cannot be reversed by weight loss, right? Once it's sort of done, your right. vision isn't going to suddenly improve. Yeah, all you're trying to do is really prevent further damage. Okay. And so that's, that's what you're trying to do with the surgery is you're trying to prevent that damage by intervening early. And if you wait till a year later, you're trying to just prevent further damage. So that's why we encourage our patients to, you know, take the plunge early rather than weight. Okay. I did a uh, podcast recently with one of our CDEs and a uh, food addiction specialist, um, psychiatrist. And we talked a lot about the problem of, you know, people being addicted to food um, 
as a factor in obesity. Um, I wonder, is one procedure or do these procedures work best for food addicts and, and bingers or, or how does that kind of factor in? Yeah, so, so, I mean, obviously we want to manage any sort of compulsive eating behavior that's more habit rather than hunger driven. Uh, but most of our patients find that if their hunger is better controlled and they have satiety or that satisfaction from eating, that fullness is, is achieved earlier in the process of eating, they can push the food away and, uh, maintain a healthy lower weight. So the sleeve and the bypass do a very good job of uh, creating satiety and lessening your hunger so that you can drop your weight. Lap bands are a little more variable, which is why we see less lap bands today because, you know, a lot of people had good responses, but there was, you know, probably near half that didn't get that hunger control as well as others. And so they would lose their band within five years and then they would be left with needing a second procedure, you know, five years after the first. So we'd much rather give them the right procedure up front than to give them two procedures. Hmm. Makes sense. Uh, do people ever want to reverse the surgery afterwards? Uh, most people don't. The only people that, you know, are usually candidates for reversal or we find uh, needing reversing are people who, um, get really bad. It's called dumping syndrome. Mm. And uh, sometimes, or most of the time, dumping can be managed with uh, just dietary intervention, you know, getting people to eat less simple sugar. Uh, sometimes with addition to medication, you know, they don't get this kind of dumping that's going to interfere with their lives, meaning feeling tired and having these kind of hypoglycemic episodes while they're driving or at work things like that. Oh, so and they, they didn't have yeah. that prior. Correct. You know, they'll develop it years after the procedure. And so it'll be, you know, they, they smell a carbohydrate, they smell sugar, and all of a sudden they're feeling kind of faint and they're hypoglycemic. You know, some people get very few, but some people's pancreas responds in a way that they get low blood sugar. And oh. so... And most of the time, if we just give them, you know, complex carbohydrates, less simple sugars, they don't try to rinse those things down with a lot of water while they eat, you know, they, they don't need a surgery. But for some people, reversing is the only way we can manage that dumping. You know, but it's only a handful out of thousands. You know, it's not very many. Okay. Uh, what do we know about, you know, post-surgically the people who succeed and, and fail, if that's the right terminology? Yeah. I mean, we, we hate using fail anymore, but we use you know, yeah. like poor responders <laughs> right, <laughs> just because people right. are trying. No, you know, I know. It's such a difficult problem. Yeah. So, so we know that if people, you know, come at it from a multidisciplinary way and realize that it's a tool that's going to help them achieve their goals, they overall do better than if they say it's going to do all of it. And meaning that if, if I don't get sick when I eat that food, then I'm going to put it on my menu. And all of a sudden, you know, they're buying the family size bags of potato chips. So if they don't do stuff like that, then they do fine. Or if they don't go back to drinking, you know, Coke, by the by the leader which some people did before surgery and some people try to do after surgery 
And we see, see those as the biggest reasons people generally don't do well. You know, it's not trying to make permanent changes in their lifestyle that the operation lets them do more effectively. I mean, is it fair to say that some people have like a sugar withdrawal after the surgery? Uh, Can that no, what, I think it's. I think what it's fair to say is that um, sometimes people's bodies adapt a little bit more than others, and so they don't get quite as much hunger control, and they kind of exploit it. Meaning, because I'm personally of the opinion that if we provide good hunger control, people do well. Okay. If the, I, I, if the bodies adapt, they lose that, then they cheat more. But Okay. Um, I guess I'm thinking of the person whose obesity was mostly the result of like a terrible sweet tooth. Um, oh. And then, you know, post-surgery, does that just magically go away? For most people, yes. It really a does. A lot of times, it really does. Now, wow. it's, you know, there's, there's good data to show that, for example, if you eat a high-fat meal, mm-hmm. you sort of signal to your body to sort of eat more, you know. And so just the act of not trying to put fat into your diet gives you the willpower not to go forward and eat too much. So that's where the voluntary part comes in. You know, they have to not try to pick those foods first and then try to catch up and eat the protein and the stuff with nutrients is the second part. So that's where the, the voluntary part comes in, but they get better hunger control. So they're much more likely to do it than prior to surgery where they're starving when they go on a diet. And I imagine the seminar symposium you mentioned earlier prior to surgery gives some uh, or reiterates the nutrition education. Yeah, they get it you know, multiple times because, uh, you know, we're all human, so we all forget most of what's told to us the first time. And so it just takes repetition. And then we, and for many people, it's, you know, they understand what we're talking about once they're living it, meaning oh, that's right. You told me I had to chew my food. I tried not chewing it and I felt something that I didn't like. So when I chewed the right way, it felt fine. So, okay. so yeah, it takes, it takes repetition. Mm-hmm. Are there foods that you have to completely give up after weight loss surgery? Uh, well, not really, you know, not a hundred percent. Now, after gastric bypass, you're much more sensitive to simple sugar. So, you know, you're going to have to be careful with ice cream, cookies, cakes. You know, you can take a taste of something, but there's going to be a threshold where if you eat three cookies, an hour, half an hour, hour later, you're probably not going to feel very good. You know, but so. wouldn't, wouldn't that experience kind of help with the willpower aspect? Well, well, it definitely does because, you know, it's like drinking too much alcohol. If you get a hangover the next day, you may not, you may think twice about taking that extra drink. Right. So, but you don't want to get punished. And so, uh, and you don't want to be deprived of everything. So, so it's kind of a good mix that, you know, if you, if you eat a little bit of it, you're fine. If you eat too much of it, you're not going to be happy. So it does help people with weight loss. Definitely. You just okay. don't. It'd only be a problem if they can't figure out where sugar is. If they can't figure out where figure sugar it out. is. Yeah. Oh, you know, oh the, sort of hidden sources that it may not. Hidden sources be. or 
they don't get enough education on what food is made of. You know, like for example, if you're eating something like uh, orange chicken, a lot of people don't think of it as sweet, it's fried, they think of it as more that, but it has both sugar and fat. And you might get sick from something like that. So people just sometimes just don't realize it. You know, we have to keep reminding them what food's made out of so they don't make bad choices. Mm, Most people get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Some of the maybe less advertised um, negative side effects, I just wondered if you could comment on. I mean, I've read um, hair loss, um, having to sleep, sitting up. Um, the pain post-op with, you know, the air in the intestines and, you know, having to take care of like tubing that's in the wound possibly afterwards? Oh, yeah. So let me see. So start with the last one first because that's what I remember. Okay. Tubing is a drain. Uh, Most surgeons don't use drains anymore. Uh, It would be something that would be limited to the first few days after surgery usually. But most surgeons aren't using them as much. And so you wouldn't have to deal with that. Is that because they fine tune the procedure and it's not as much of a concern? Drains. Yeah. Drains were there in case there were leaks, but leaks happen very seldom. And so a lot of surgeons feel that uh, drains may cause more leaks than they help prevent. So, or treat. So we don't use them anymore. Okay. Um, And then as far as the gas and things, uh, Usually with the new techniques, the laparoscopic techniques, uh, the, that kind of bloating is very limited. And so it's usually maybe the first day that people, it's a little rough. But after the second day, people usually don't feel that way anymore. Uh, they're usually started on liquids the same day or next day. I mean, uh, why is that so painful? Because I've had C-sections in my experience and and i do remember that being really painful but it doesn't make sense it's just air right why is it painful oh what it is is uh your intestines uh work in a wave you know they push from the top to the bottom in a symmetrical way and when we go in surgically and uh touch them they get disorganized so instead of a nice wave they're squeezing at their own rate and when you make a little bubble in the intestine, it's a cramp. You know, much like if you got a stomach flu and you got those cramps. So, it's, so that's that bloating thing. Now, when we did a big incision and put our hands in, there was much more of that bloating than the new techniques, laparoscopic. And so a lot of people don't even get that, that kind of bloating anymore. They get it just in a very low-grade fashion for the first day. And so, so it's usually not too bad. Okay. Uh, the reflux that you were talking about where they have to sleep sitting up, mm. uh, we see that more in patients who get a sleeve and had a lot of reflux before the sleeve. And so we're very cautious if someone has such bad indigestion that they already have to prop themselves up in bed to sleep comfortably mm. to give them a sleeve as that surgery of choice uh, without making sure there's something we can fix to prevent that. Bypass oh, is a better operation. Oh, I yeah. was going to say, would you recommend bypass in that case? Yeah. Bypass is really the best operation if you're overweight and have reflux. Okay. You know, it's better than the other types of things that we have out there. And better for type 2 generally, right? Yeah. And, and people overweight, a lot of times they're diabetic, they have cholesterol problems as well as indigestion. And the one operation treats it all. 
So, okay. so that's the difference between what traditionally was called weight loss surgery versus metabolic because we're treating all these things rather than just weight. Oh, I see. Um, and what about the hair loss? Is that not necessarily? Yeah, yeah, so hair loss is kind of a little hair loss is a necessary evil if you lose a lot of weight, but it's very minimal if you get your protein, take your vitamins. So what we, it's many times the, the best weapon we have is uh, the surgeons to prevent, to keep people eating healthy, you know, and taking their vitamins because people don't seem to care that their body may be unhealthy, but if they lose their hair, they'll take all the vitamins and protein <laughs> in the world. So. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, human nature for you, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. So, but it's usually it's usually only the first six months that you have a little thinning, and then it it starts growing back. You just prevent it by starting up front, taking the protein and vitamins, rather than trying to take it after you start losing some hair. Oh, okay, okay. And I I guess I'm I'm coming to the end here. I I wonder, could you uh, talk a little bit about the rose procedure and when that would be appropriate or necessary? Yeah, so the ROSE procedure is, uh, it's an acronym. It's called Restorative Obesity Surgery Endoscopic. Uh, so one of the things that can happen uh, with these surgeries long-term is the little stomach pouch can become a big stomach pouch. The opening between the stomach and the intestine can go from a small opening to a big opening. And so uh, it's thought that if you turn those, turn the dial back and make those openings the right size, the pouch the right size, that people will recover any weight that they've put back on and be able to, you know, take it back off by making the right size. So instead of a big surgery, you know, done the way that we did it the first time by making incisions in your abdominal wall and manipulating things uh, in the abdomen, you go through the mouth and you use uh, a camera and they have a device that essentially pleats or reduces the size by creating little pleats in that pouch and in that little opening. And so it's, a, it's thought to be a less invasive way to restore it, you know, to tune up that operation back to the way it looked when we first did it. And those openings you mentioned, I mean, is that just a consequence of, of time? Uh, it's part of it's a consequence of time. Uh, it may be, you know, people taking extra bites, you know, so that they feel super full every time they eat, you know, that, mm. that may provoke it stretching a little bit, um, you know, but most of the time it's really just the body's response to changes, you know, the oh. body always tries to adapt. And so it just means that it's gotten a little bigger and then we have to decide whether or not uh, making it smaller will give you the effect you want. And this is a technique without a big surgery. Um, and how thrilled are people with the, you know, in the aftermath generally? Oh, patients are, patients are usually, uh, the most appreciative in the world just because they've tried every diet. They've, they've had success with diets, but then they always have failures with diets. And so this is the first time they've been able to, uh, succeed and have any sort of durable response. Uh, so a lot of these people have been overweight and sick their entire lives. And so this is the first time they're healthy. And so they're, they're very happy. You know, it's, I wish the message would get out, you know, more generally because these are very safe and people are very happy with these surgeries when they finally do them.
I imagine that must be very rewarding as a surgeon to have those kinds of experiences with your patients. Yeah, I, it, I teach residents and fellows and, you know, they're always, they're always amazed at just how happy the people are you know, when they come back in because, you know, a lot of, a lot of surgery overall, people, you know, people sort of dread them a little bit, you know, it's not the happiest place in the world. And mm-hmm. these people are all generally happy when they come back and they're excited and, their lives are transformed. So it's, it's always a great thing to see. I, I mean, how did you get into this? Were you just um, curious uh, about it? Originally, yes, that's part of it. It's, I was a surgeon first. I did a lot of uh, intestinal surgery as, a, as trained. Um, we were doing laparoscopic stuff. I also have a degree in nutrition. So it was a good melding of all the, I guess, expertise that I had been you know, assembling and then finally being able to put it forward as, uh, you know, treating people, helping people. Oh, well, I, I really want to just thank you so much for your time. Um, are, do you have any parting words before I say goodbye? No, I think, I, yeah, this is, I would say this is a fabulous procedure. You know, a big myth that's always out there is that they're, they're not effective. Everyone puts the weight back on and they aren't safe. The opposite is true. They're very safe and they're very effective. And so I just hope people, you know, give it a try because I'll, you know, be very happy they did. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Kunin. And I want to just tell the listeners to, for more information um, and blood sugar friendly recipes to go to OnTrack Diabetes. Perfect. Thanks, Anne.